Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Uh, hi everybody and welcome to the ODI's Friday lunchtime lecture. Today's talk will feature award-winning artist uh, Dan Hett, um, who's uh, an ODI friend. Um, Dan works mostly around uh, encryption issues and technologies and currently has some work featured in the ODI's new exhibition, uh, which we're referring to as LAMAL. Um, if you've got any questions, please wait until the end of the talk before you ask them, as we need to pass the microphone around so that those who are watching from afar can hear you. And if you've got any questions and you're watching um, online, please uh, use the hashtag ODI Fridays, and we'll be able to ask your questions for you. I'm going to hand over to Dan now. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone, and uh, hello, people on the internet. Uh, my name is uh, Dan Hett, I'm a digital artist, and before I get into this talk, I, based on previous experience of talking on this subject, I'd like to give you a couple of fair, like a, a fair warning. This talk uh, does contain a little bit of blood for a couple of slides, and I will give you warning about those slides as well, just in case. And I think nobody's actually eating any lunch at this lunchtime lecture, so that's <laughs> handy. Uh, and there's going to be some needles as well. Um, Slayer are going to feature, and most off-putting at the top. <laughs> We're going to have some conservative party policies to discuss as well, which uh, can put people off their lunch somewhat. So my name is Dan. Uh, I'm a digital artist. I, am, I was a programmer uh, for quite a long time, working for the likes of the BBC and various other places. Uh, I defected and came out as an artist a few years back, um, and now I'm trying to put my full time into using my powers for good instead of evil. Um, so I've uh, had a bit of work uh, in the ODI previously, this thing was up for quite a while as part of the uh, Speaking Out Loud exhibition curated by Alex McLean. Um, so I do a lot of um, reinterpretation of, of um, programming digital art and using core programming skills for very, very unintended purposes. So things like this um, cover live performance in different sort of formats. Uh, I also did a digital version of this that showed a few minutes of live performance stretched out over an entire year. So people working in this space every day would see it change very, very slowly, that sort of thing. So when the proposal came up anyway, um, it immediately uh, sort of appealed to my sensibilities as a practitioner, uh, the idea of taking technology and, and using it for very un unintended purposes is, is core to my practice. Um, so the idea of finding comedy within the flow of data is something that I found very, very appealing. So at the very same time, um, I was in the middle, as most technical folk were, um, of, uh, I was in the middle of laughing at Amber Rudd um, and her policy change push around um, encryption and encrypted messaging. Um, so this is still ongoing, and Amber Rudd has been making a fool of herself for a number of months now, um, around using, trying to control encryption technology as a means to apparently make us safer, which is to, is to me both wildly untenable and hilarious. It's just ludicrous. Um, and again, um, the idea that I... I I could encrypt a message to any of you with a, with a piece of paper and a pen and would be able to you know, write a terrorist threat quite securely using off-the-shelf technology. It's impossible to control. It's just something that cannot be enforced whatsoever. And it becomes more of, a, more of a campaign thing, to be honest. And the fact that Amber Rudd has then gone out and said, oh, I don't, I don't need to understand how this works, is fundamentally, to me, not, not okay. And I also feel like, as an artist, we're often the barometer of whether things are going to stick and being able to use piece of art to, to pinpoint how ludicrous this is was quite appealing. So it came at a really good time uh, next to the proposal. So I pitched a painting of all things. So I am a digital artist, I'm not a painter. Um, so I took over the ODI for a few days uh, just before Christmas. So the idea was that I would also be able to do this on site rather than at a studio so people could 
pop up and ask me questions about the whole thing, which is quite nice. So it's actually quite nice to be in the ODI not covered in paint, really, because it, um, yeah, it was a messy few days. It also looked like I was going to kill somebody and chop up the body. Uh, I had to like, really protect your lovely office. Um, so I'm just going to show you a couple of images of the production, and then I'll explain exactly what you're seeing. So they were two very, very large paintings. You can see tired artists for scale. They were quite really labor-intensive, just ridiculous. Um, and the idea was that they would both contain an encrypted message, very, very large, daubed across. They, 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 the idea was for these pieces to look like they'd been sort of vandalized quite brightly. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of expand on that in a moment. Um, I also live-streamed. Um, I found the best way... Live-streamed, I time-lapsed. So I found the best way to not let, the, let people move the stuff is to put a sign on. People still moved it, and you can see on the time-lapse it moves around. Um, so I'm just going to leave this running. People at home, um, I'll put this time, I've put this time-lapse on YouTube as well, so I know it might be a bit jerky on the live-stream. So I worked for a few days um, getting this stuff done. So what I'd done is I'd written a piece of software that takes a piece of text, uh, a message, and securely encrypts it. So the encryption, and I'm going to explain for non-technical folks um, what I mean by encrypting the message as well. This isn't going to be a boring talk, but I think conceptually it's good to understand what, what this means. Um, so the initial point was to make two fairly dull, textury kind of paintings and then just deface them completely. And the idea was that they should stand out as much as possible. The, these, whole, these works were really supposed to be interrogating what it means to have a secret message and to encrypt something securely. And the, kind of, the point of this was that you, could, you can take this. I trust this technology enough that I can make a massive, colourful, painted version of my secrets, put them on a wall, and you can have it forever, and you still can't have the message. And that isn't because I'm a specialist in this technology. I've used a piece of off-the-shelf thing, did it with JavaScript, and I'm still confident about it. And I encrypted about 30 messages, two of which made it into these paintings. Um, I, what I can say is I've not revealed everything about the messages, but what I can say that... I can, sorry, I can say that one of them is my bank details, um, one of them is a shopping list, and, uh, you know, I think one of them might be a life-wrecking secret as well, but it's kind of... And then the other 20, I'm not going to specify. Um, so, yeah, so, um, so why paintings? So I, I suppose that, that kind of what I wanted to do was pick a medium that is both, A, permanent, and B, very large. The point of this was that when uh, Amber talks about encryption and, and sort of uh, making us safer and that sort of thing, there's also the sort of, for me, that paints a picture of this shady kind of comms sort of thing, and it's all very underground and very secretive. And actually, this technology is so widespread, so difficult to control, that I can use it very, very easily and make something enormous. So that was, it was quite a mischievous way of doing it. And again, that was in response to LMAO being quite a playful thing. I, I sort of seized the opportunity to make a bit of mess as well, which is always good. So when I talk about encryption, um, I'm definitely not going to go too into the details. And any programmers on the stream or whatever, please don't email me and correct me about the terminology. It's not about that. So, um, so the, there are different ways of, of encoding a message. Um, when I talk about encryption, some people, are, well, quite often people go, oh, this, this kind of system where you will do a substitution cipher. And you, you, you'll have done this in school. You know, you can get like the rings and things that will swap letters out. And it's a very, very easy way to do things. You will just take a maybe a number of steps back or forth up the alphabet is the easiest possible way to do it. And then that will, that will effectively encode your message. And if the person receiving your message knows how many steps you took, they can undo it again and the message will become clear again. Now, encryption is not this. So this is, this is a very, very sort of very simple one-way thing. And a more complicated version was um, the Enigma machine. It was this kind of sort of um, phased substitution sort of thing. So encryption is a bit different. And uh, it, the, 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 the implementation is way outside of the scope of what I'm going to do today. And nobody wants to hear about it on a Friday afternoon either. But the, the, kind of po the point is that plain text is taken. It is then encrypted using one of many, many algorithms. I chose a secure one that's used in banking, that sort of thing. It's a very, very secure algorithm. 
And the way you encrypt it is by using a key. So this is symmetrical um, <laughs> encryption. And what it means is, is that the same key is used to encrypt the message and also decrypt it. So I take my message and my key, and then out comes my encrypted transmission. So that's your block of garbled text. And that text is there, is then completely, effectively impossible to, to unencrypt without, without the key. So mathematically, wildly untenable, and you just you couldn't do it. Um, and then using the same key, I can then run this and the key back out through the software, and the message pops out again in plain text. So really, really easy. And again, although to anyone slightly non-technical, this, this all sounds really complicated, the, the program that I used to do this was a dozen lines of JavaScript, which is built on a really common encryption library. And there's a, there's a million and one ways of encrypting a message, and I chose a very, very easy off-the-shelf one just to demonstrate that I can do this securely with almost no effort at all, really. Um, so the key is the important part, anyway. So um, the, the, the key sort of became core to this whole thing. And where is the key? So the key is effectively a password. I mean, mine is a very, very long string of numbers and characters. And it's kept on my hand, of all places. Um, so a few of you um, came over while I was producing this piece, these this piece, and they, they were horrified to learn what I'd done to make this quite a, quite a personal statement piece of work. So I have stored the key on a tiny, tiny chip embedded in my hand. Um, so you can see a euro coin for scale. So it's a tiny bioglass enclosure containing an RFID compliant chip so I can wirelessly read and write data to my hand. Um, anyone who's in the room later, if you want to have a poke, if you want to have a poke of me chip, uh, it's, it still weirds me out a little bit, to be honest. So. <laughs> Um, so I'll just explain a little bit about the tag, and then I'm, I'm going to try and go into the rationale of why I chose to do it in this way. So it's a 2 by 12 meter bioglass tube, so pretty small. Um, and effectively, what this garble means is that it's RFID and NFC compatible, so it's any, anything that can read and write wireless devices in this way. Same as like keycard readers, that sort of thing, will work with this. So it's really, really handy. Um, and I, in fact, use my smartphone to do it, so I've got a, a cheapo Samsung that writes and reads from it perfectly. A slightly they never designed it to read through a load of flesh, so it's a little bit weird, but it does work, it's great. Um, and it's rated to, I can have it in my hand for 10 years on paper, probably more if I'm reckless. I tend to be. Um, it's also got a seven byte UID, which means it basically has a, an effectively a unique identifier. And this is how I could use it to open an RFID lock, that kind of thing. And what's interesting is I was going to install an RFID lock on my studio door just because just I want to. Uh, if you get to that door, you've already gone through two locked doors. So if, at that point, the security is out the window. If you've managed to get that far, you can have my stuff. Um, so it was more of a symbolic thing. And uh, the person that, um, some, well, one of, the, one of the people I spoke to about this said, that doesn't sound very secure. And it's kind of like, well, actually, surely it's more secure than a key that I could leave in my bag or lose, that sort of thing. So it's, sort of, it's still a mechanical lock. It's just, I don't know. It's like people have a very odd concept of what security <laughs> entails when a key is much more stealable. Um, so the most important part for my uses, though, is that it has 880 bytes of writable memory. So not a lot, but perfectly adequate for my purposes. So I've got the encryption key and a short message describing what this is. Uh, and there's also a password on there that if anyone does manage to get it, I'll buy them a beer because I, I just I want them to prove that they managed to read it off my hand, which no one has done it yet. No one's done it yet, but who knows. Um, so I, um, I, I purchased it off a company called Dangerous Things, which sounds like a perfectly trust, trustworthy purveyor of stuff you should <laughs> stick into your hand. Um, and they, they kick-started their original product, um, which is, they've called it the XNT, which is the one that I've got. Um, it was a, so it was a crowdfunded thing originally, and now they've, um, they've 
sort of done a full production run on, on different sort of more complicated versions as well. So there are bigger ones that have more capabilities, but at that point you're getting into a real awkward procedure to get it in. And um, yeah, I've, I, even I have a threshold. So it doesn't look too scary when it's in this. So these are the pictures off their website and it doesn't look too, doesn't look too scary. And then the needle in real life is super scary. So the way it works is um, it's loaded into a needle when you, you buy it in a completely sterile. Well, the man on the internet said it was sterile anyway. Uh, it's a st sterile enclosure. The whole thing is wrapped. So you don't insert it or anything. You just you buy it in the needle. The needle is then sterilized. And when you, buy it, when you do, the, do the insertion, you put the needle in, you inject it, and then that's it. You're done. So it's super, super quick. And they do them at, um, at like tech conferences and things. You can just go and just do it really fast. It's not, not a very invasive thing at all. Um, and they do give you plenty of warning as well. So they say this kit contains de dangerous things. Well, the XNT transponder has gone <laughs> several quality checks, which I'm going to show you in a minute because they're great, uh, during manufacture and has been put through a battery of tests. Um, it's not been tested or certified by any regulatory agency for implantation or use inside the human body. And then in, you, know, you always know it's a good project when it, the bold bit is use it at your own risk. Um, so they are, they're waiving any right if your hand falls off or whatever. Um, so the, I'm going to just do like an FAQ to answer the common questions because they always come up. How did it go in? Big needle. So these are my photographs, so it's far more intimidating. My hand was shaking at this point. And uh, I've, I've been pierced and tattooed extensively. This is not my first rodeo, but this felt like a different thing altogether. I don't know if that's just because conceptually it felt like a more invasive thing than an <laughs> ear piercing or something. So... Yeah, uh, my steely exterior crumbled at this point and I was very, very afraid. Um, so they marked my hand up. So when I say they, by the way, I didn't do this in my house. Um, I went to a, a body modification professional who's very experienced in this sort of thing. Don't, don't, if you're going to do this, don't do it yourself. Um, so we marked up my hand. So I had to go underneath tattoos, which is a bit weird. So there's a proposed entry point there and then a proposed site of where it was going to sit. And the reason you put it there is that it's, it's accessible for you know, use if you're putting your hand on something. You can implant it anywhere. I could stick it like on my face maybe, but like, the problem is that you, you want to put your hands on stuff. And then that way it's slightly out of the way and you've got a bit of, it's got slightly protected. Um, so that was the plan. It didn't stay there. It went for a swim a little bit, but they, and it, it kind of moved around a little bit. Sorry, people are wincing now. I apologise. Um, so it, did, it does move around, but they do settle. Um, and normally implants are coated as well, so they stay in one place, whereas these aren't, because if you want to take it out, it makes it a lot easier. So, which is another story entirely. Uh, these are the gross pictures, by the way, so squeamish readers, uh, squeamish viewers or whatever, look away now. Um, so standard piercing, shove the needle in, uh, I went, ow, and then take it out and bled a bit, and it was fine. So it looks, qu looks quite, an, quite an invasive thing, um, but it, 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 and it was very, very painful just for a split second, and then as soon as it was out, it, uh, it was fine. And it, it, the, my, my comparison was um, if you have a big injection for um, like a, uh, like a immunisation or something like that. So I had one for yellow fever when I, I went away a couple of years ago, and it was a really big, like, like really painful injection. Kind of like that, so, so totally not that bad at all. Um, so for me, the, the off-putting part was more just the, the concept of it and the fact that I was having something put in my hand was far more intimidating than the actual procedure itself. So brains are a bit weird. Interestingly, I also dreamt about it for ages afterwards. I dreamt about it moving around my hand constantly, which is very, very odd. So um, yeah, so how does it work? I'll show you a quick demo. So this was a, a week after it was implanted, standard smartphone, and you just get it within range and the phone will pick it up. And I had a URL on there for a little while. It took us to a Rick Astley video, of course. <laughs> so, so this is long before. So now if you get to it and hold it on, you'll get the code and message back. So really, really easy. And to write, you just program onto a, an NFC app, 
your message, bang, and you've written to it. So dead easy. Um, interestingly, you can write to these with lots of different apps and different ways. Anything that's got an NFC kind of reader and writer on it. The problem is, if you do it wrong, you can brick it. Now, if you don't know what bricking means, it's when you um, take a device, you mess with it, and then you break it to the point where it's no longer usable, and you've effectively got a brick. I think I think it was like it's more used for like phones and stuff. Um, so. I, I, I followed their advice very closely and decided like I'm, I'm as much of a hacker and a tinkerer as the next guy, but there's certain things that you don't want to break when they're under your skin. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, I definitely read a few stories as well of people experimenting a bit too much with these, overwriting the data on the wrong sector, and then it just becomes not usable. So, you know, tread carefully. Um, and this was the first write, so I, of course, like any good programmer, I wrote the words, hello world, wrote them to my hand, waved my hands around, read it back out again, super happy. So, and again, that felt really, really weird. It felt, it felt like you, you can't, not physically, you can't, you can't feel it, you can't, you can't even tell it's there anymore, but the, conceptually being able to put data into my hand and take it away with me and then it's mine is, is a bit weird. Um, so more FAQs, did it hurt? Yes, uh, but surprisingly not for long. And within, within a, you know, the next day I was at soft play with my kids and I didn't notice it and it was just completely fine. So no drama. Um, yes, I can get through airport security with it, so there's less metal in it than a tooth filling, that sort of thing. I've flown twice, and the first time I, I really did panic as well, even though I knew, I, I still sort of walked through, I must have looked really suspect. Um, and yes, I can go in an MRI scanning machine, so that's fine, it won't get ripped out. Um, it can break, but you'd have to really, really try, so they've put them through a battery of tests. Um, I'll show you more on that in a minute. Um, the big one for me that people ask constantly is, is it secure? Is the data that you've got on your hand secure? And the answer is no, not at all, not in, not in the least. You, if all you need to do is get near it with a device and you can grab that data and it's yours. Now, I'm a big believer that the security, security in this kind of context is, is more about well, what, you, what you choose to put on the, on the thing, right? So what I've done is the encryption key is actually split into two halves and the missing, the missing piece is here. And then what I've also done is stored half of it on an, in an undisclosed location, which kind of, kind of simulates, well, if I was trying to pass an encrypted message around, I wouldn't disclose the location of the key and the, the missing half is here. So it's definitely more of a conceptual thing. It's not a... You know, I, I wouldn't put my actual bank details on here or anything like that. So, um, yeah, and so any, any pretense that this is even slightly secure is, is false. Um, interestingly, Mythbusters did a filmed and edited full episode about RFID and NFC, and the major credit card companies blocked them screening it, and it's the only one that they've never screened because it, it, just, it just exposed how easy it is to kind of clone and look at contactless cards and that sort of thing. So quite interesting. Um, the other big question I get, which is the first one my mum asked, was how does it come out? Uh, scalpel, loads of tugging, <laughs> so, to be honest. So, um, and again, it's, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It's fine. It's fine. So they did, they did a lot of tests. I don't want to hang out on this too much. Um, so they've done uh, things like pressure tests, liquid nitrogen tests. Now, it must be said, my sister-in-law uh, is a biomedical scientist and works with human implantable things, and she knows that it takes 10 years to certify things to go into a human body and that sort of thing. They showed her this, and she was utterly horrified. And you can tell it's professional, because it's, it's just a wooden desk. And like, like, so they've done EMP testing. I love the phrasing here. It says, uh, sometimes you'll need to know if your implant will survive the EMP generated by nearby nuclear blast. Um, we're happy to say that yes, it can, which is great. So if I'm involved in a nuclear accident, I won't remain, but the chip might do, which is great. So, you know, it's nice, nice to know. 
Um, they've done sterilization tests. And again, like really professional, it's just sat on lined paper, not in a lab. <laughs> I don't know. It's, just, it's all very, very uh, kind of homemade, this stuff. And they, they've cooked it, which is really weird, uh, in some food. I'm not sure why. Um, and then the one that I'm interested in is crush testing. So can, if, I, if something hit my hand, would it crush? And the crush test is, is you basically, the, the, the point of this is um, if you have enough pressure or force to crush that thing, you've probably got bigger problems like your squishy hand. So, um, so I've, I feel reasonable about having it, and I've had it in for <laughs> a year now, and it's, it's kind of fine. So, um, and then what was interesting was when I had this implant done and started publicizing that I'd, I'd done it and started talking about the work around it, um, at the same, during the same week, a company in America, it was a factory of some kind, had offered their employees the chance to have one done. And um, it was to do things like entry uh, instead of a key card or, or use, um, I think they could pay for things at the lunch counter, that sort of thing. And really, it was just a, the whole thing was just a big press sort of stunt. And a few of them, took, I think a few of them did and some of them didn't. But the American press just dived on it like crazy, saying ethically, should people be allowed? Da, da, da. Are they going to use them for other things? Do they do stuff that, that they're not disclosing? And all this paranoia kind of whipped up. So I had a couple of days of tons of journalists freaking out and trying to like, uh, trying to ask about it, and, the, and my answer to this: Will everyone have one? No, not in a million years <laughs> like, at all. And because the, and there's a few reasons. Firstly, it doesn't solve a real problem. There's nothing that this does that a keycard doesn't. For my uses as an artist, in the sense that I've painted a picture that is encrypted, it's personal, and it's exploring all these themes. Yeah, it makes sense. But I think just to save me the hassle of getting a, an oyster card out, <laughs> or whatever, is just utterly nonsensical. And um, and, and I, not everybody sits where I sit on the spectrum, which is some, like the overlap between tech and the willingness to modify your body is even very, very slightly. I mean, it's not that invasive, but it's still far more invasive than most people would, would put up with. Um, and you do, you do need an extra part, which is just, at the moment, it's just recklessness. It's just ridiculous. And again, my sister-in-law just utterly appalled that I bought this thing off a man off the internet and put it in my hand. So... Yeah, absolutely not a solvable. It's not a problem that he's solving, and this is not the way in which we're going to solve it. And so, yeah, so the feedback was really, really interesting. So um, what it did do is the response to the work has been quite interesting in the sense that people have queried what encryption means, and it's kind of to a few particularly non-technical people in the arts crowd have come, come out and said, well, I, I had no idea that it was this easy to securely encrypt a message. I, I now see that... The, the idea that Amber Rudd can somehow wave a magic wand and control this, this technology and this approach is, is just ludicrous. And really, that was, that was what I set out to do. But, you know, and, and, and again, the, kind of, the idea that artists are often the kind of barometer for, for this sort of stuff is, is a really valid thing. Um, so it was, it was nice to be able to sort of illustrate this stuff to people in hopefully quite an interesting way. Um, the other feedback I got was from this guy, um, or rather his followers. So uh, because of all the press, there was the, this kind of idea of implants was in the press and people were seeing it who normally wouldn't. So this was in the normal news, not the tech news. So people, people were just suddenly aware of it. Um, and um, I'm more of a Slayer guy, so I've already upset this guy. So, I, but apparently, because of the implant, my soul is damned now. So it already was, but um, yeah. So the reason is that in uh, Revel the Book of Revelation, just in the King James version of the Bible, so it's a really specific reference. Anyway, you know, you have to be like it's, it's a bit of a reach. And the, the passage is just for people on the stream. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast. And so it's a bit, I've seen my left hand for a start anyway. Um, so it was it, tenuous at best, but I suddenly had, I was just swamped with, with responses to this. I mean, like, I've just grabbed a few here saying, God, may God bless your soul. Uh, where's, where's the one? Uh, 
uh, go to your computer, scan your hand, and download the Bible. <laughs> so, by people, by people praying for me that I'd, I'd done this, and I'd somehow like damned myself, which I thought was a really, really weird thing. And again, I think it's sort of, I think as humans, we're we're just averse to this idea of, you know, the, the fact that I, my my brain was dream, I, I've been dreaming about this a little, is that is it says to me that humans are just a bit, yeah, about having a foreign thing there I don't know it seems, it seems even though it's tiny um, and I think the idea of having this done it's just it triggers this kind of response in people it's a really really strange thing um, so what does all this mean um, I mean so for me I what I set out to do w- with this was just to start illustrating some of the some of the, the concepts and some of the kind of questions around this and um, if causing a little bit of debate is, is the end result then I th- I'm hoping that I've succeeded and um, I mean, I invited Amber Rudd to this talk and she didn't turn up, which is a bit upsetting. So because I think she, she still doesn't get it. And I also wanted to send her one of the paintings and then I was told not to because I might end up in a list of some kind, so I'm not sure. Um, and, and then on a slightly more serious note, so um, what I probably should have mentioned at the start was that this has become a very, very personal piece of work, firstly because it's, it's in my hand. Um, but before I started the work, so after I had my proposal accepted by the ODI, I became caught up in the Manchester terror um, attack and I lost my brother. He was one of the 22 people killed. So between those times, I was then asked, we, like the, the ODI reached out and said, are you carrying on with this work or not? And really, it, because, the, because the, this idea of controlling encryption was framed around it being a security thing, not only did I not want to not, not want to not do the work, it actually galvanised my intent to continue to explore these themes because it suddenly is it was it was it went from it being a technical part of my world and something I was interested in from a sort of technical artistic standpoint through to something that actually is now being being used incorrectly in something that has affected me quite directly. So so that in itself has become unexpectedly a core piece of the work, and that's why this this has suddenly branched out into more work. So yeah, so it's a really, really odd period at the start, but I'm I'm quite I was very, very galvanized in finishing the work and carrying on with it. Um so what next? So this was very, very quick kind of um, first stab at this thing. Um, my plan next, believe it or not, and again, this goes against everything that di- digital represents, I guess. Um, I want to start getting into more sculptural work and longer encrypted messages and that sort of thing. So I'm really, really interested in making very, very permanent artefacts that will last forever, that are still completely impenetrable and, and very, very permanent. So I feel there's a, there's a rich vein with this stuff that um, I'm hopefully going to start exploring. So And I get to learn how to sculpt and carve things into stone and that sort of thing. So although I'm getting very analogue with this stuff. It is an intrinsically digital problem and it's a very, very modern issue. Um, and I have no idea what Amber Rudd is going to suggest next, but I'll be there with some paint and it'll be brilliant. Uh, I guess that's me. Thank you very much. And we'll turn it over to questions, I guess. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so does anyone have any questions within the audience? Yeah. Oh, hang on. So, really so sorry. Yeah. So the microphone isn't amplified. It's for the people at home. Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> hello. Um, I wondered how you're using the chip in your hand to record data about yourself. How you is it contributing to a way in which you're documenting your life rather than just self quantification, but like recording no. parts of data that <laughs> no, give so you an insight into your life in a different way. It doesn't. So, and that's mainly because the capabilities of it are a bit rubbish. Right. So, it's got a little tiny bit of memory that you can flash data to it, but it doesn't do any. So, one of the one of the misconceptions that I encountered from people was was what else is it looking at? Is it monitoring you? Yeah, yeah. And it's actually it's a it's really really uh, primitive tech. I mean, RFID is just it's been around since you know it's arguably obsolete technology. It's just the perfect fit for this thing. Um, so, it doesn't it doesn't allow me to do anything 
cleverer. I mean, what I could do is I could start getting into things like tagging into different places and that sort of thing, but it would all just be reliant on me touching that on different places. Um, so there are better ones that have got much bigger kind of memories and that sort of thing. So it might be that you could do something cleverer with it. Um, and mm. I, I love the idea of having something that records myself. You know that whole quantified self movement, which I'm a bit skeptical about. But um, that as, as a thing, I think it's, there's, there's quite a lot in there. Um, but yeah, so part of this was um, ended up being me sort of breaking people's assumptions about this tech. Um, so with the factory thing and that news story that broke, there was so much speculation that um, you know the tinfoil hat brigade came out and said, oh, well, the NSA are going to be using it to track your whereabouts and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's no, not even 1% that small or capable. Okay. So. <laughs> Any more questions? Um, so sculpting sounds like it's going to be quite hard. Mm. Have you considered using um, something like a 3D printer to create larger encrypted messages? That's a really good, really good question. So um, the main reason I want to start getting into sculpting is that the permanence is really important. Um, and the, I mean, the, paint, the painting was one was was done mainly because it was a physical presence. It was a massive piece of work, but it's more the permanence and the kind of the idea of I can give you this message and you can have it forever and you're never getting the meaning out of it unless I so choose that sort of thing and that, that's more what it's about so I was looking at things like so the actual paintings were done with um, laser cut pieces of wood which I, th I think have just been taken by everybody now I think they've just scattered and everyone's got one um, so yeah so I actually ended up using physical artifacts to just start laying down the paint and, and again what I could have done is sort of expanded that and laser cut the entire thing and then it'd be present um, but yeah so I think um, also I, I like the idea of making, making very very large physically imposing things because it's sort of it's taking an encrypted message from this secretive very digital thing that I would tap you know like WhatsApp is encrypted and that's the one that's always the example of versus this massive massive piece of encrypted message that I still have complete faith in that it cannot, it cannot be taken um, yeah so I hope it kind of answers sort yeah. of <laughs> thank you uh, any more questions sorry <laughs> uh, I just wondered where can I see the painting? There. Is it here? <laughs> it's here. Yes, so it's those two paintings on the wall here. So um, oh, wow. for viewers on the stream, I was going to take one off the wall and put it here, but they're just so big that the shot would have yeah. to be really wide. But yeah, please go and check them out. And so. will it tour around the country or go to other events or festivals? I have, I have or? no idea. So I'm, I mean, what, what I want to do is, is produce more in the yeah. series and, and create a more coherent body of work. So those two are were probably more rushed and more kind of kind of loud and splattery than I, you know, I would have preferred to take a bit of time and encrypt a longer message and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, who knows? I'm, there's definitely going to be more in this series, but I'm, I'm leaning away from paint and into big metal and stone and that sort of thing. Cool. So. Uh, any more? Any questions from internet viewers? Yeah. Not yet. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> for me. Um, obviously, when you started the proposal here, um, it was part of a kind of um, an exhibition about comedy. Mm. And since then, you've had this personal tragedy. Has it kind of changed your perspective of it? Uh, kind of, yeah. So, uh, like, although I mean, the the proposal came in. What, my proposal was written in response to because because of the the notion that you can do anything with this was just a, an a, an intrinsically ridiculous thing. And at the time, the tech community was just howling with laughter about this nonsense that Amber Rudd stood on television saying, "I don't know how any of this works, but it's probably terrible, and we'll keep you safe by controlling it." And it's like. So, um, so yeah, so there was an element of humour, and again, the way in which I presented the work was was intentionally very cheeky and very uh, very bold and brash and ridiculous. And again, that, that sort of fit with the proposal. Obviously, the the circumstances I went through in relation to it were, were obviously grave and very serious. But I think the 
they they almost reinforced the the point of the work really. So although the the this, this sounds odd trying to reconcile humour with something quite terrible. It's still hilarious that she could control this. And, and like hypothetically, if somehow the Tories had a magic button that would stop encrypted messaging being used, it still wouldn't stop. Wouldn't have stopped anything. It wouldn't stop a lone operative causing an attack. That sort of thing. Um, and one thing I didn't. I don't think I mentioned it either. So one of the working titles for this whole project was going to be. Um, around threats, incredible threats and that sort of thing. And then the actual pieces were going to be my shopping list and that sort of thing. So I was already exploring those themes anyway in quite a cheeky sort of way. And then suddenly everything happened. So there's, there's, there's been more irony than humour, really. But, um, but yeah, so it didn't, it didn't um, alter my path what, whatsoever, but it has reframed it slightly. So. Thank you. I've actually got yeah. one on Twitter. That's all right. Why oh, not just wear an NFC ring? Um, so if I wasn't producing a piece of artwork that I wanted to be very personal, I definitely would. And, and this is kind of what I was getting at with when people say, oh, is there any, any point in this? Does it solve any problem? No, it doesn't. So, the, the, I mean, this was definitely more of a conceptual thing. But if I was just doing it to get into my studio or whatever, I have a key for that. Or, you know, people, people are um, using it to get into their cars and that sort of thing. But it, do, it feels like a very invasive thing to solve a problem that doesn't need solving. So um, definitely, in my case, this is a statement piece and not a, there is no, no practical benefit to this, I, in, my, in my opinion. And some uh, advocates of this stuff are really crazily into the idea that this is the future and commuters are all going to have them and I'm not, I'm not on board. Having done it, I'm, I'm not convinced. <laughs> From my experience of doing an art degree, everyone's always talking about deconstruction, right? deconstruction of real life, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me that the technology they use is a really interesting way of reconstructing stuff in people's artistic experiences. Like, you know, if you've got something that looks random and you can put your phone in and it reconstructs it because you're putting your chip in. Mm. Has there been like in innovative uses of art in the art world that you've seen of this kind of technology? Um, or is it just you? <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely not just me. Um, but I've seen a lot of people... Um, encoding things in different ways and the, the idea of taking your message and encoding it and, and turning it into something that is is just yours is, is is something that i've seen quite a lot of in terms of this specific approach i'm i'm not sure if anyone else is doing this kind of thing um but i think it's increasingly i mean for, for me i it wouldn't surprise me if you know art, artists are questioning the world around them they're questioning the technologies by which we're, we're living our lives and that sort of thing and it, it's this this kind of thing it feels like it's becoming you know this whole idea of privacy and security and making us safe it's, it's just it's on my mind it's on it's on our lips it's on it's in our politics it's in our news and that sort of thing so it wouldn't surprise me if, if as responses we start to see more of this kind of thing that begin to sort of question policies and things around us um, but I'd, I'd be definitely interested in any examples if there are I'm always always curious to see what what other people are doing in this space I, I feel like it's a it's a thing that needs to be challenged and there must be plenty of other people challenging it Uh, any more for any more? Just <laughs> <laughs> from again. the internet. <laughs> this one's from Twitter again. This is Pip Thornton, who is also part of this exhibition. Hello, Pip. Um, that's her work over there, hanging over there. Um, she asks, has anyone tried to break the encrypted messages as a crypto challenge, for example? Um, not that I know of, no. So, um, but again, I'm kind of... They're, they're 
welcome to have a crack at it, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no nuclear secrets in there, so it's kind of fine. Um, but I mean, again, I, I sort of, I, I worked with someone who knows his crypto pretty well and works in the industry. And um, so they're industry standard algorithms that are fairly secure. Um, and then I've also taken a couple of extra steps of um, kind of salting the encrypted message with an extra few characters and that sort of thing. So again, it's, it's an encryption process that I have and I can, I can say is secure. So feel free if you want. The other thing is you're going to have to type in all that text off the paintings and into your program. So that's oh, it's probably worth noting, actually. So um, the, that message doesn't exist anywhere else now. So the encrypted text it is only on the paintings. So the reference material and the document that had the actual message that I worked from, we've destroyed everything and deleted everything. So you would have to be with the painting with, or with a good photograph of the painting and you'd have to type it in laboriously and stuff. So um, yeah, come and have a go, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Does the um, uh, investment and research in quantum computing worry you at all with your encrypted <laughs> message up on the that's, wall? That's an intense technical question. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I don't know. If, if at some point quantum computing is able to crack those messages, then I think we've probably, probably got more terrifying things to worry about. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, like, I guess theoretically we should all be slightly worried, I guess. And I, I've read a few very, very terrifying think pieces about what quantum computing... So if anyone doesn't know, quantum computing is, is predicted to be just, like, infinitely levels above in terms of computing power, which might make many currently used encryption algorithms effectively pointless because you can brute force them. Brute forcing being just punching against them until you've got the solution. So when we talk about secure encryption, it's secure in the sense that it's mathematically out of, out of the reach of all the computers that we've got available now to, to crack something. But if, if suddenly computing power increases exponentially by thousands of times, then I don't know. But again, that's, that's definitely one for somebody with a hardcore kind of crypto hat. And uh, I'm, I am comparatively a dabbler. So I'll, wor I'll worry about my paintings when the time comes, but I think we're, we're going to be like nuclear waste by then. <laughs> it's an interesting one, though, definitely. Like if, if, if quantum computing suddenly renders encryption ineffective or many algorithms I think we've it's quite a terrifying future but yeah, yeah. mine are only paintings so I'm, I'm probably not going to be a target of any <laughs> nefarious sentient programs <laughs> thank you uh, are there any more questions no okay great well thanks a lot Dan thank really interesting <laughs> um, please join us next week for our Friday lunchtime lecture it's about data as a creative material thanks everybody You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.